If you guys got a Bible, open up with me to, uh, we'll start in Matthew chapter 4, actually. Matthew chapter 4. And I'll, I'll do this by way of reminder for, for many of us who, who have been around throughout the summer and, and an introduction for, for some of us who maybe have been gone for a little bit, a little bit of vacation or something. But um, we'll start in Matthew chapter 4 and we'll dive in at verse 23. Kind of sets the scene for, for the Sermon on the Mount for us. It says this, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Verse 25 says, great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says this, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth, and he taught them. And so the scene that is set for us is Jesus is sitting on a mountainside and he is preaching a message to these people. He is teaching them. And, and I, I love that, that first section right before at the end of chapter four. It kind of paints a picture for us to understand a little bit about Jesus's heart. And, and as I read through that, I can't help but be reminded if you guys have been around for a while, then you know uh, the founding pastor of our church, Bob Caldwell, um, a spiritual father of mine in so many ways. Uh, During the last couple years, as he was handing the church off, as he was um, moving into that next season of life, almost seemingly every week I felt, uh, as we gathered together as pastors and we went up to Garden Valley, he referenced Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And as a church in our our time of fasting and prayer each, each year, for the last couple of years, that was the passage that we settled on, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And it says the same thing. Jesus was teaching and preaching. He was going about healing people as he traveled the circuit of the different cities and the villages. And it says that as he was doing this, he saw the multitudes. And when he saw the multitudes, we get a picture into the heart of God. It says that he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary, they were scattered, They were like sheep with no shepherd. They were wandering. They didn't have direction. They had a lot of voices in their life, but there was no real shepherd to guide them, to lead them, to teach them. They had a lot of religious leaders, a lot of religious teachers who at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says that Jesus taught in a way that that showed he had an authority that was different than all of the religious leaders of the day. There was something different about Jesus. But he sits down on this mountainside as he sees this multitude because his heart is moved with compassion and he starts to teach them. And it's the, to me, when I, when I look at the, the Sermon on the Mount, I see it as a picture of the good shepherd grabbing his sheep together and sitting before them. And as people, as people who desire to know who God is, he's teaching them what it really looks like to love God and to love other people. And so as a church, I know Tucker's heart for us is this summer that we, we got an opportunity in the midst of the world that we're living in with, with the weirdness and the chaos and the, the, just the bizarre times that we're living in. For us as followers of Jesus, 
the greatest thing we can do is just sit at Jesus's feet and be reminded of what it means for us to love God and to love other people. And, and very specifically, the Sermon on the Mount has, has been very challenging. Has anybody enjoyed our time in the Summer on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount? Um, I, I know Tucker's referenced this, but uh, I've, I've, you guys know C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis is hilarious and awesome. But he was asked if he, uh, if he enjoyed the Sermon on the Mount or if he, if he liked the passage of the Sermon on the Mount. And his response is like, who could like being hit in the face with a sledgehammer? It's challenging. It's, it's very personal because it gets to the core of our life and it challenges us in how we interact with each other and how we interact with God. And so if you guys want to flip with me, flip to Matthew chapter 7. This morning, we're going to dive in and look at uh, just a couple verses. I, I was really excited and, and hopeful, and I thought for sure we'd get, uh, my goal was to get us through verse 20. And uh, not because I just wanted to set a goal, but I was like, that, that, that seems to go together and it'd be good. And then the next time we come together, we can we wrap up everything after the church on the park. And um, I couldn't get past verse 11. And I, I really think the Lord has something for us in these first couple of verses. And for many of us, it's, it's a very familiar passage. It's a very familiar couple of verses. The Sermon on the Mount, I've heard it said that it's the, the most popular and least understood sermon of Jesus. Um, and as we get here, let's, let's, let's read verses 7 through 11. It says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? (laughs) If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to him who asks. Again, I wanted to set the scene a little bit as Jesus sits down and he looks upon the multitude. His heart is moved with compassion and his longing is to teach them and to show them what it really is to love God and to love other people. There's been a lot of practical stuff in here and what it looks like for us to love each other. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule, we're familiar with that, right? Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Honor people if you desire to be honored. Judge them, condemn them if you want to be judged and condemned, right? Last week, do you guys remember that? That was fun. Um, but this, this passage, he, it, it's pointing us to what it looks like for us to love God. And it's a call to prayer. And it's challenging. It's challenging. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but some of the most familiar passages for me are, are some of the hardest to really understand. And, to, and then definitely for me, it's, it's some of the familiar passages are the hardest to actually teach from. Because I feel like there's so many different, uh, I guess... Uh, we already know it. It seems so simple. Ask, seek, knock, and you will receive. It will be open to you, and you will have it. But what I want to do this morning is I want to dive in. What, what does that look like? Because is there anyone else in this room who feels uh, slightly dissatisfied in your prayer life? Anybody? I'll confess. 
four of us. All right, the rest of you guys, God bless you. Um, now would be a good time to leave. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, when, it, when it comes to prayer, there are definitely times where I sit down and I wonder, like, where did my words go? Ask my wife. I could complain for hours. But when it comes to me sitting in the presence of God and sharing my heart with the Lord, I, I feel like I start before I even get, I finish before I even get started. Does anyone else understand what I'm saying? It's like, man, and, and we look at Jesus' life, his life of prayer as we read through the Gospels, as we just follow his journey. We see that he was missing in the morning very often because he went to a deserted place to seek the Father and to pray. We see, I think it's Luke chapter 6, where Jesus spent all night praying and his disciples couldn't find him in the morning because he was gone all night. And when they found him, they're, they're like, where, where have you been? It, the people have been waiting for you. And he's like, it's time to go to another place. It's time to go to another place. He got direction from time and prayer. And in, in Luke chapter 11, it says that Jesus was with his disciples. And, and as he finished praying, his disciples, they, they were standing among him, praying with him, I'm sure. But, but when Jesus finished praying, it says that they looked at him and they said, will you teach us how to pray? And so as we get into this passage of prayer, I, I don't have a whole lot to say, you guys. <laughs> I am not an expert in regard to prayer. That is for sure. But I feel like we can look at Jesus's life. We can look at the gospels and we can see illustrations of what it means for us to ask, to seek, and to knock. And I believe that God ultimately, for us as a church, as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, I believe he's calling us into a deeper life of prayer with him. And that's challenging for me. And maybe, maybe the reason why I couldn't get past verse 11 is I felt so convicted. I was like, man, I'm going to preach on prayer. And it's like, man, I, don't, I feel like a child. I don't even know how to pray. I don't, I don't even know what it is to sit in the presence of the Lord and, and to seek him and to be real at times. And so... Let's dive in. Can we do that? Um, I believe this, this passage is, it's kind of like a proverb for us and how to pray. It's, it's to be memorable. It's to be a, ch excuse me, a challenge, a reminder for us and what it looks like for us to pray. And so the first thing it says, it says, ask and it will be given to you. And I was just kind of processing, what does it look like for us to ask the Lord for things in prayer? Um, is there any Greek scholars in the house this morning? Tom? There you are. I've been looking for you. So after the service, you can ask Tom. But um, my understanding is in, I don't know Greek, you guys, but my understanding is that in the original language, this ask and seek and knock, the, the tense that it is written in is a continual tense. Right, Tom? Something like that. So it's ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. And while you do that, that is, that is ultimately a picture of prayer. And so I was thinking about an illustration, a picture for, for what it looks like to ask. And I believe um, my daughter gave me a beautiful picture of that. We had some delicious dessert a couple nights ago. And I believe the Lord's challenge for us in regard to what it looks like for us to ask for him, ask in prayer, is to ask like a child asks for dessert. Does that make sense? And I, and I say that and hopefully we remember it. But the thought is this. My daughter was not disengaged while she was asking for dessert. She was invested with all of her heart. She had an active will and desire to get what she was asking for. It was not something that she was just passively like throwing around. Can I have some dessert? It was with 
her whole heart, with her whole mind, engage in that moment. And my response would determine her next response. Is she going to be excited or is she going to be kind of disappointed? And so as we ask, the challenge for us is to ask in a way as if we desire to actually have what we are asking for. To ask with all of our hearts, with an engaged mind, with an active will, a passionate desire to actually receive what we're asking for. It, it, the, next, the next part, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Um, when we seek the Lord in prayer, uh, from a couple different verses, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, um, Luke chapter 15, I believe is a beautiful picture of these things. It's ultimately, when we seek, seek as if you're looking for a treasure, something of great value. Seek as if you've lost something of great value when you seek for the Lord in prayer. Luke chapter 15, there's this woman who, who loses a coin. There's a shepherd who loses a sheep. Um, and there's ultimately the, the story of the prodigal son, a, a father who has lost a son or maybe two in that process. And I believe that's the picture of the Lord saying, seek. And so when we ask, ask with passion. This is a child would ask for, for dessert. When we seek, my encouragement for us this morning is to seek with, with purpose, as if we're going to find the thing that we're searching for. Um, question for you guys. How many of you lost your phone before there was find my iPhone? My first and only Android that I had, I bought it right before I went to, to school in, in Southern California, went to Bible college for a minute. And right before I left, I, I flew to Washington to visit some friends. And, and while I was there, so I mean, I, I had my phone for a week and I was getting ready to head down to school. I was going to land back in Boise and then move the very next day. And so I bought this fancy new, new uh, Android going to say iPhone, but I bought an Android. And we went on this, this long excursion on the last day. It was my, my, one of my friend's birthdays. And so we went on this, this long hike, a beautiful, beautiful hike. And on the way back, we stopped at a river about an hour outside of his, uh, his city for this hike. And then we went swimming in this river. And uh, we got back, started packing all of our stuff up, getting ready for me to, to take off the very next morning. And it's about 10 o'clock at night. And I realized I haven't seen my phone in a while. And we were gone for a very, very long time. And this hike was a, was a nine-mile hike that included glaciers and a hidden lake. And uh, then coming back, going swimming, did I have it in my pocket at that time? And I don't know if there's anyone else in here like me, but I lose things very often, all the time. I lose things. And to me, hopefully I don't elongate this in, in a way that bores all of you guys. But the idea of seeking is for me, I needed to have my phone. I thought I did, but I, I couldn't just hit the ping on my watch to make sure I knew where it was. I had no idea where my phone was. And I had a friend who was like, let's go find this phone. Let's, let's, and it's 10 o'clock at night. And the place, the river and the hike was an hour away from his house. It was an hour drive. And so him and I jump in the car and, and we drive. And the whole time, we were kind of hyping each other up, like, we're going to find this. We have to find this. We have to find my, and this is a silly, I, I feel embarrassed now. But long, long story short, 
Apparently I put it on the, the, the bed of the truck when we got to the river because I remembered having it coming down the mountain as we were sliding down the glaciers. And then we got in the truck and then drove off. And then when we got to the swimming spot, I put my stuff on the bed of the truck. And apparently I forgot it on the back of the truck bed. And so as we drove, at some point the phone had fallen off. And so that's, in my mind, I was trying to think through as we're taking this hour-long drive. Okay, where are we going to search for this phone? Where would be the first spot to look? And so we went to the campground, and sure enough, the phone was covered in dust, but there was just a little, and this is 11 o'clock at night now, and it's, it's dark outside. And we, we pull up to this campground, and the phone is covered in dust except for a little corner, and we find it. And I say that because when you find something you are searching for, when you search with, with purpose to actually find it, there is joy that is overwhelming. And, 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 I, and I say this, hopefully, I think stories sometimes help us remember things, but I'm hoping that it's a picture for us in prayer. Do we pursue the Lord? Do we seek for the Lord? Again, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that the Lord is a... He's a a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. When it comes to our prayer life, do we diligently seek after the Lord in prayer? When it it comes to our prayer life, what, what does it look like for us to seek after him? Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, when we search for the Lord with all of our heart, he will be found by us. Does that, is that a picture of our prayer life? Do we search for the Lord in those types of ways? Again, uh, prayer, if prayer could be summarized as communication between God and man and man and God, um, what is a marriage without communication? It's non-existent, right? What is a friendship without communication? What is any other relationship that we share with another human being? If there isn't communication, it's not alive, correct? And so again, this is, I believe is a picture of the good shepherd teaching us what it looks like for us to have a right relationship with God. What is a lover of God without prayer, without a prayer life, without a prayer life that, that with, with passion asks and seeks with purpose, intending to find that which we search for, which is the heart of God. And then it goes on to say this, knock and it will be opened to you. If you guys would flip with me to to Luke um, chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We'll start in verse one. Ask with passion, seek with purpose, and knock with persistence. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 18, it says this. Then Jesus, he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And then he gives a, a, a parable. He says this. There was a certain city... There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow that came in that city, and she came to him and said, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, 
though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, just to kind of clarify the heart of God that he's not wearied by our persistent asking. He says, Hear, did you hear what the unjust judge said? This man is unjust. He does not genuinely care at all. And yet this woman comes persistently, continually. And because of that, it wearies him. And so he says, shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he really find faith on earth? Ask as if our concern matters to God. Seek as if the thing we are seeking for is, is something we long to actually find. Knock, again, as, as if our concern matters to God. Persistently, with passion, with purpose. Um, let's flip back to Matthew chapter 7. Because I believe the unjust judge is being compared to the judge that is God who genuinely does care. But in this passage, verses 9 through 11, uh, paints a, a deeper picture again, I believe, of the God that we pray to, that we communicate with. Verse 9 says this, Or what man is there among you who if he asks for bread, or if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? It's ridiculous, right? Or if he asks for a fish, Will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? I believe this is ultimately an encouragement for us as we pray, that we would understand the heart of God the heart of God who receives our prayers, who hears our prayers, who hears our passion, and as we seek with him with purpose, and we ask persistently and continually, and we bring our requests before him as we desire to communicate with him, I believe this is ultimately painting a picture for us to understand the heart that God has for us as we pursue after him. It's the heart of a father. Um, there's, a, there's a quote uh, by a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones that said, the greatest defect in most Christian lives is our failure to know God as our Father. I believe the greatest defect for our prayer life is not understanding the heart of God as a Father for us. That the things that we bring before Him do matter to Him. He does care for those things. If my daughters only came to me uh, I, I've, I've heard this illustration, and if there are any high school students in the room, I'm sure they are very familiar with this. But you will not have a healthy relationship with anybody if the only time you talk to them is when you're asking them to give you something or forgive you of something. Right? But for some of us, the hard reality is that summarizes our prayer life. Is the only time we speak to our Father in heaven is when we're asking Him to give us something or to forgive us of something. Could you imagine the heartbreak of a father or a mother if that's the only time their child were to talk to them? Can you give me that new thing? Can you give me that? Can I have this? And then no other relationship until it's time to ask for forgiveness from something. Man, 
sledgehammer to the face, right? The heartbreak of a father who longs to know his children and have them be known. And the only time we speak is when we're asking for something or seeking with the intention to find maybe something like a genie who would give us what we want. There's something more. There's something more here. And I believe that's the picture that Jesus' life paints for us is prayer is so much deeper. There's so much more richness to it. Yes, we ask. Yes, we seek. Yes, we knock. But for the intention of what? A relationship. A relationship. Not a one-way thing where we get what we want and we go about our business. It's challenging. And so to me, the question comes, how can we know God as our father then? Right? If God is our father, and that is how we ought to pray, as the model prayer starts, our father who is in heaven, Jesus leads with that in in Matthew chapter six, as he's teaching his disciples how not to pray like the Pharisees, and then how to pray. He says, pray with the intention of there being a relationship. The first thing, our father in heaven. So how can we know God as our father? Um, John chapter one tells us that those who received Christ and believe in him have been given the right to be called children of God. Romans chapter eight tells us that we've been given a spirit of adoption where we can cry out to God as our father. So there's not just this general fatherhood. God is not a father of all of humanity. He's a father of those who have submitted to him. He's a father of those who are saying, I'm willing to follow and I'm willing to be a child. I'm willing to submit to your discipline. I'm willing to submit to your guiding. I'm willing to submit to your leading. And so because of that, then we can answer the question, well, does that mean if we, if we pray passionately and persistently, does that mean we will get everything we ask for? Well, of course we can answer that now by understanding that uh, no, name it, claim it does not function in the kingdom of God. Why though? Because he's a good father who doesn't give to us everything we ask for. Because up at, up at winter camp a couple years ago, Gloria had this, had this moment and she shared this, this testimony. Gloria was the one leading worship this morning. She shared this testimony with the high school students as, as, as she's getting ready to lead worship for one of the mornings is, um, as, as you worship, we, we get to know the heart of God as a father, don't we? And she said in one of, these, one of her quiet times, she was praying and, and asking God continually for this thing. And she felt like the Lord told her, like, I, I'm your father. I'm, I'm your father. And so that means I won't always give you what you want. And in this picture, it says that how many of you would give a stone when your son asks for a piece of bread? It's ridiculous, Right. How many of you looking back on your life are thankful God didn't give to you everything you asked for? Because you might have been asking for a stone instead of bread. You might have actually been asking for a serpent when you thought you were asking for something that would fill your stomach. It would be something that would destroy you. Who knows the thing that we are continually and persistently asking God for might be the thing that God is intending to leave in our life because it is causing us to be conformed into the image of his son to make us look more like Jesus. The thorn in the flesh of of Paul, right? Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane was asking if there's any other way, would you take this cup from me? Nevertheless, your will be done, not my will. And so there's there's this 
I don't know, this balance in scripture for us to understand that when we pray, pray with all of your heart. Seek as if you're going to find and knock persistently, but knowing above it all that again, your father knows your needs before you even ask them. And that the idea, the intention of prayer is, is a relationship as a child to a, to a father, which is beautiful. Um, by the way, can I throw a couple verses out to you guys? Um, if you've been asking and you feel like you have not been receiving, if you've been seeking and feeling like you have not been finding, if you've been knocking and feeling like the door has not been opened to you, again, here's a couple verses for some balancing of understanding that our Father is too loving and too wise to give us everything we ask for. Um, John chapter 15, verse 7 um, just maybe write, write these guys down. There's, there's a couple ones here. John chapter 15, verse seven. James chapter one, verses five and six. James chapter four, verses two and three. And first John chapter three, verse 22. Again, that's John chapter 15, verse seven. James chapter one, verses five and six. James chapter four, verses two and three. And first John chapter three, verse 22. Um, that's some homework. It's school starting back up, so I figured it'd be good for all of us, not just middle school, high school, elementary age, college age people to, to have some homework. So um, if you desire to dig into this a little bit more, the, the balance of asking and yet not receiving, um, there's some passages for you. But one thing I do want to do is encourage all of us in prayer for sure, because the exception in scripture is unanswered prayer not answered prayer. Does that make sense? The exception in scripture is unanswered prayer. The norm in scripture is, is prayer being answered. Um, I think the biggest tragedy for us this morning um, is that, how many guys have ever sat through a, a sermon on, on prayer? Be, be, be apart from this. Okay, this is painful for all of us, but... Um, It's one thing to talk about prayer, right? I, I think we do a great job of, okay, I'll speak for myself. I think I do a great job of saying, man, I'm gonna pray for you. And then anyone else forgetful on that prayer list? It's like you see them the next time and you're like, oh man, whoops. I totally intended, I 100% intended to allow that person's need or their concern to become a concern of mine and to bring that before the Father and request and plead on their behalf. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm forgetful. But I, 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 I don't know. If, if this was the high school youth group, what we'd do right now is we'd wrap up and I would challenge you guys, let's spend the next 10 minutes and let's just pray. Because it's so awkward to talk about doing something and then not actually do it. It's so bizarre to preach on prayer and then find us not doing it and going about our day. And so I think the biggest tragedy for us this morning, it would be to hear that, how many of you guys would agree that we ought to pray more? There, there's, there's this dissatisfaction in what it looks like for me personally to pray. And I believe I'm not alone in that. I wanna, I wanna wrap up with, with Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 through 23. 
because if this isn't the exclamation mark of, of this concept and the intention of what prayer is, I, I don't know what is. It says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, man, we don't want to hear this next phrase. I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If that is not the heart of God and the intention of prayer for us, is that being known by God, it happens in the secret place, doesn't it? It doesn't happen in what we do for him. It happens when we are with him, when we are alone with him when we're in the quiet place, just us and our Father. I've heard it said that what a man or a woman is before God, what a man or a woman is on their knees before God, is they are that and nothing less and nothing more. Who we are before God. And I hear those kinds of things and I'm like, dang. We can do a lot of beautiful things for the Lord and yet him not know us which is bizarre, right? My, my natural mind thinks that prayer is for me to understand God's heart more. But if these passages are connected, the intention is for God to know our hearts. It's for God to know us, what concerns us, though he knows it before we say it, what matters to us, what is pressing upon our hearts, what is pressing upon and causing um, anxiety. And did a couple weeks ago, do not worry Maybe we forgot about that, but these things that matter to us are the things that God longs to know because he longs to know us. And the intention of this morning, if anything, is man. Prayer is the avenue by which we know God and he knows us. And that's his heart as the good shepherd sitting before the people. He says, come before me, sit down. Well, I'm gonna sit down. Um, Tom, did they stay standing, you think? I don't know, maybe, probably not. Maybe they sat down, who knows. But Jesus sat down and he starts to teach them and to tell them this is what it looks like to love God. And he speaks about prayer and he speaks about a relationship. And he says, if not, I never knew you, which is God's intention for us. How many of you are thankful that we're not just a pawn in God's chessboard of life? going about his business, doing the things that he longs for us to do because he doesn't do it himself. That is not the kingdom of God. That is not the call of humanity. There's something different there. There's a desire that God has for us to know him and for him to know us. And it happens through prayer. And so we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up here in a second. And I'm hoping the worship band is listening. Um, and the encouragement is this, is worship is prayer, isn't it? It's it's communication. It's a cry of our hearts to God. That's, that's what worship is. And so as we worship, my encouragement for us is let right now become the time where we sit before the Lord. Whether you're, you're like me at times and you, uh, 
your mind goes blank or you don't know what to bring before God or you, you feel like you don't have the right words or you feel awkward or you've never prayed before in your entire life or no matter what our journey is sitting in this room this morning, those things do not matter in this moment right now. The call of this passage is for us to be people who ask, who seek, and who knock, who develop a relationship with our Father in heaven as children before him, as we receive him, and as we submit to him. And as we do that, our concerns concern him. Our fears, he longs to hear. And so bring your awkwardness, bring your uncomfortable words at times, bring your realness Be who you are, and in the quiet of your heart, as we worship, communicate with God and seek him as if you're going to find him, and ask of him as if those things actually matter to him.